Amen. As we come into a time of hearing from the Lord through his word, uh, let us pray. Lord, you certainly are good to us. Lord, we are so undeserving, but yet, uh, in spite of our unfaithfulness, oftentimes, Lord, you are always, always, always uh, faithful. So, Lord, as we turn our attention to your scripture, uh, Lord, we pray that we, through the Spirit, would have eyes to see and hearts to obey uh, the amazing uh, truth and power that comes through your word. Lord, thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would, open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. If you have your own Bible and you're not sure where Proverbs is at, you can go to the table of contents in the front, or you can go right in the middle of your Bible. It should put you uh, somewhere around the book of Psalms. If you're at the book of Psalms, turn to the right one book. There you'll find Proverbs. If you get to Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon, you've gone too far, so go back to the left a little bit, and there you'll be. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat that is in front of you or underneath the seat uh, that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 589, 589, and we encourage you to not only use uh, that Bible this morning, but please take it home with you uh, and continue to read God's Word. And if you choose to worship with us in the future, please bring it back so we can study together. Uh, this morning, as we uh, turn our attention to the book of Proverbs, uh, we need to uh, just be reminded of a few things. One, the book of Proverbs was primarily written uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by a guy named Solomon, King Solomon. And other than Jesus Christ himself, uh, King Solomon, or Solomon, was the wisest person who ever lived. Jesus is the only one uh, who was wiser than him. God granted Solomon uh, tremendous wisdom. It was a gift that God had given to him. And wisdom is simply taking uh, the truths of God's word and applying them to our lives. So it's not just a head knowledge that God desires for us, right? He, he wants us to learn how to, with wisdom, uh, apply the truth of God's word to everyday life. And I'll say this, for every follower of Christ today, there, there is a God-given desire, a gift that God gives to you to have a desire to live in such a way that you actually honor him. And so it's not just coming and filling out notes and Bible memorization. Those things are great. But the application is what's so, so important. And one of the places that you and I need tremendous biblical wisdom, in other words, how we apply the truth of God in our lives, is when we talk about the matters of the heart. The matters of the heart. The scripture talks about the heart over 800 times. In the book of Proverbs alone, it tells us that the heart is the source of understanding, the source of deceit, the source of joy. It's the heart that can backslide. It's the place where uh, we can also trust God. The heart can be cheerful. It can be prideful. It can be bitter and full of lust. And it is the heart that can rage against and be hardened towards the Lord. But yet, it's the heart that can worship God, right? So the matters of the heart are so important. But unfortunately, for many of us, as followers of Christ, is probably the very thing that we neglect the most. And so as we come under God's word this morning, I pray that you do not neglect the wisdom that God has for us, specifically as it pertains to the matters of the heart. So to that, Solomon writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these words beginning in verse 23. So we'll read the passage and then we'll unpack it. Verses 23 through 27 in Proverbs chapter 4, the scripture says, Keep your heart with all diligence." For, far, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. 
Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So Solomon begins this section of Scripture with these words in the first part of verse 23. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance." What is the heart? The Bible often refers to the heart as the seat of the mind, the will, and the emotions. It's where you find your deepest convictions. It's what uh, gives you drive to make the decisions that you make. How you choose to live your life today, right now, and how you choose to live your life tomorrow, in large part, functions from what? From what you believe within your heart. And Solomon says that you are to keep your heart. This means to watch over it, to guard it, to care for it. And we're guarding it, we're caring for it, because there's danger that is around us. The question is, why do we need to guard our hearts? Consider a few dynamics of the heart for just a moment. I mean, when you think about what the scripture says about the heart, it is staggering. In one sense, the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, these words, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In short, your heart will lie to you, right? And in the context of Jeremiah 17, the context, the immediate context of where the lie that comes from the heart is this. It's, it's to promote a desire that you can do you. That you don't need God to call the shots in your life. You don't need God to guide your decisions. That you can direct your life. That you can choose what you think is best for you. Listen, in all of us, even as followers of Christ, there is a desire to be our own God, right? So it tells us that it is deceitful above all else. But then, the same prophet, Jeremiah, several chapters later, in the same book, says this, in Jeremiah 31, 33, For this is the covenant that I will make. So this is God speaking. He's talking about this new covenant to come. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on where? Their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This verse tells us that every, for every child of God, Every person that has trusted Jesus Christ to be their Savior, God says, I'm going to do a new work in you. And I'm going to do a new work through you. And that new work begins where? It begins in the heart. When we are saved by grace through faith, we receive a new heart. A heart that desires, now desires, the things of God. That is a miracle of God's grace. So much so that when Paul speaks of this great miracle of getting a new heart from God... He, he bursts out in amazing praise. He says in the book of Romans, Romans 16, 17, and 18, he says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. He's talking about the gospel here, the good news of Christ. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. Paul says our hearts used to be shackled to the deceit of our heart, to the sin nature that we once had. But now we have been set free. The things that once used to enslave us, we're no longer slave to those things. Why? Because we have a new heart. We have a new master. So we have a new heart, new master, but guess what? That heart isn't perfect yet. You agree? So there's an understanding that needs to happen here. We still struggle with going back to the characteristics of the old way, right? Being our own God. And that's why one of the th reasons why James writes this in James 4, second part of verse 8. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who have received Christ as their Savior. He talks about cleansing your hands. This is talking about our external behaviors. Stop doing the evil things that you're doing. If it be rebellion, lying, gossip, corrupt speech, or evil actions, put them away. Then he talks about purifying your heart. James is talking about those 
inward desires, right? The things that, re- that come from the heart. And the immediate context that James is addressing here is that of pride. The sinful desire of pride that's within our hearts. So here's the picture of the heart. Everyone has a heart that is deceitful above all. Everyone. But for those who are in Christ, by his grace, we have a new heart. We have new desires. We have a new master. But again, it's not perfect yet. And so there is a conflict. There is a struggle that happens. And so we must do what? We must keep our heart with all vigilance. That's what Solomon is teaching us. The word vigilance speaks about highest priority, about above everything else you do. Guard your heart. Now, and we understand the concept of guarding something, right? I mean, we lock our doors. Uh, we have alarm systems. We have bank accounts to secure our funds, right? We have passcodes on our cell phones. Everywhere we go, we try to protect what we think is most valuable to us. But God knows the default nature of the, our hearts, that we are going to spend so much time Guarding the things that are temporal at best or things that are only seen on the outside. But what we need to realize is that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And so he says, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. So there's three questions that we're going to ask and answer from this passage. First, why should I guard my heart? That's a great question. Why? Why above all else should we guard our heart? The reason is this. Life flows from the heart. Life flows from the heart. What God is doing in your heart. What you are allowing God to do in your heart. That's where your life comes from. Solomon says in the second part of verse 23, for from it flow the springs of life. And so the picture is pretty amazing here. The heart is the source of everything you are and everything you do. And that source does what? It controls everything. It's the place that can bring about abundant life. But when it's unhealthy, guess what? It can bring about destruction, right? So we have to understand the conflict that will happen. And if you want to threaten your life downstream, guess what? You get to the source. That's why you keep it. If and when our hearts aren't healthy, if it goes unprotected, it will affect all areas of your life. How you think, how you act, the disposition of your heart on the inside, Think about the dynamics that happen. Why am I controlling or why am I trusting? Why am I angry? Why am I patient? Why am I greedy or why am I gracious? Why am I selfish or why am I selfless? It all flows from the heart. And again, that heart is what? It is under attack. Your heart is under constant assault. The whole language. Listen to the the, the language. Watch your heart. Keep your heart. Protect your heart. Guard your heart. It means that you're preserving something. You're preserving your heart. You are literally building a fortress around your heart. And to the original hearer of these words, they would have understood this concept greatly. Now think about this for just a minute. When you want to attack a city, you do what? One of the primary ways that they would attack a city is you would attack the water source. In other words, if you can contaminate the source of supply of water to that city, to that village, to that area, guess what? You would impact the whole people. And one of the primary ways that they would do that is they would take a a body that is now deceased, that that once had disease with it, and what would they do? They would put it in the water source so that that contamination would go downstream. I mean, we understand a little bit of that because sometimes you you go under a a boil water advisory, right? I lived in Turkey for a few years, and some of the times that we had to boil water was because of just that. 
This is real stuff. And here's the reality. We have an enemy, and he is God's enemy, and he is bent on your destruction. Our hearts are constantly being under attack. He is bent on the destruction of your family, your marriage, your home, your relationships, your testimony. This isn't about physical. This is about the spiritual. It's a war against our hearts, and Satan knows exactly what weapons are to be used against your heart and my heart. And left unguarded, it will leave you beaten down, full of despair, full of discouragement. And the temptation is to do what? To turn uh, your heart away from God? To turn your heart away from the people that are in your life? To, to run from all those things? And somehow, we think that an unguarded heart is okay, right? Listen, it's not just un- okay. It's very, very dangerous. Jesus speaks of this in Mark 7. He says, and he, speaking of Jesus, says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So yes, as a Christian, by grace, God has given us a new heart. A heart that desires what he desires, loves what he loves. But until Jesus comes again or we die to go to him, guess what? The residual effects of sin from the old disposition of our life still impacts us today. So our hearts are a war zone. So the question is, are we guarding what is most precious to us? Are we truly guarding our heart? See, I think we forget to value what God values the most. And guess what? More than anything else, God values your heart. One of the places that we see this is when uh, uh, the, God's people are, are wanting a king, and they had King Saul, but that was not the king that God desired for them, and, and he, the, another king is coming up. And we know it's King David, but guess what? The people that were around did not see King David the way God saw King David, right? And we see this interaction in 1 Samuel 16. The scripture says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance, because David wasn't a whole lot to look at. He was a small dude, Right? Uh, or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not a man as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? On the heart. If you put Saul and David next to each other, Saul wins. But what is God saying? God says, I look at the heart. God values more than anything else what is going on in your heart. He gets past all the things that are on the outside, and again, he wants the heart. Why? Because if he gets your heart, he gets your life. That's what he's teaching us through the word. So the question now is, how do I know if I'm guarding my heart? Right? We're sitting here, we're trying to discern, how am I guarding my heart? Am I doing it? How do we discern? I think the scripture is going to teach us that we need to examine our life. Listen, self-examination is extremely important. But we spend so much time examining everybody else, right? And so the scripture is saying, no, no, no. Start with yourself, right? Examine yourself. And what Solomon does, he talks about three areas that we should be able to examine ourselves to determine if we're guarding our heart. Uh, first, we need to examine our speech, what we say, right? He says in uh, verse 24, put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. And when you think about the book of Proverbs for just a minute, there are, there are really four main categories uh, of those who have wicked speech. Uh, this, the scripture in Proverbs is going to talk about those who are li- liars, right? Is, is what you say true, right? Uh, the other category would be a whisperer. In other words, is what the information that you have, is it meant just for you, or are you letting it out, right? And he talks about the gossiper. Are the things that come out of your mouth building up the other person or trying to tear them down? And then he talks about the flatterer. Is what is coming out of your mouth, is it self-serving? Is it all about you? 
right? So those are the categories that he gives. And what's interesting about the book of Proverbs, and really the Bible as a whole, is it, it, the, the spiritual directive here isn't, isn't, are these things happening? There, it's deeper than that. It's, it's begging the question that you and I have to ask and answer, why are we doing those things in the first place, right? Why do I gossip? Why do I stretch the truth, right? Why do I make conversation about me? Why are those things happening in the first place? Again, see, problems with speech have to do with what? The heart. Jesus says in Luke 6, 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth does what? It speaks. And so whatever's in the heart is eventually going to come out. How do I know if I'm guarding my heart? Examine your speech. Examine what you focus on. He's going to talk about the eyes in verse 25. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. In other words, whatever you focus on in life, whatever you are most attracted to, that's what you're going to focus on, right? So make sure you're attracted to or focused on what glorifies the Lord. Because you're always going to move towards something, right? You're going to move towards something and your heart directs where that movement is going to go. And so if you're focused on the desires of the flesh, guess what's going to happen? You're going to try to fulfill the desires of the flesh. You're going to move towards those things. And so fixing our eyes on Christ is not just the first step. It's the continual path for the follower of Christ, right? That's what the scripture is teaching us. So is the honoring and glorifying Christ in your life, is that most important? Is that the priority in your life? You see, every single day, we need to be reminded of the wonder of Jesus and the wandering of our own heart, right? That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 101, verse 3, he says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And the context of Psalm 101 has to do with holiness. And so David says, I desire not to put anything before my eyes that will take me away from honoring you, right? And we know David's story. It's not perfect. But the desire, the desire... And the reality is, is, all of us have dark spots, right? When you think the perspective of your life, the vision that you have for life, guess what? We all have dark spots. It reminds me of Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms. Psalm 73 uh, is uh, written by a guy named Asaph. Asaph, I mean, he, he's the worship leader, right? I mean, thousands and thousands of people uh, who have some type of engagement in uh, the worship of God within the, the temple. And he's numero uno, right? He is the guy. And so you have a guy who loves the Lord, who cherishes the things of God, desires to serve God, desires to know God, desires to see people come to worship the Lord. But guess what? He had a conflicted heart. He had great struggle. And the reason why he had this great struggle was founded in two things. In fact, if you go back and read Psalm, uh, yeah, Psalm 73, the first two verses are, are really the, the end story for him because he says, I almost slipped. I almost turned away from you, Lord. And the question is why? The two things that he was battling in his heart, the first thing was that of envy. Envy. You see, he was looking around at the things around him, the, the people that had no desire for the Lord. He's looking at himself and how he has a desire to the Lord, to serve the Lord. He, the decisions that he makes is about the Lord, but he's looking around and, he, and what he sees is from his perspective is that the, the wicked, the evil, the ones who have no desire for God, they seem to be the ones that are the most proper, prosperous, the most healthy, that they seem to, to have everything that they need in life. And so he's struggling with a heart of what? A heart of envy, but that's not all. He's struggling with regret. 
regret. The scripture says in verse 13 of Psalm 73, he says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. So here's this guy. He says, man, Lord, I've been living for you. I desire to cherish you, to honor you, to, to see people come to worship you. But when I look at everything else in my life, when I look at the cost of surrender towards you, and yet those that are around me, again, who have no desire for you, seem to have everything that I think I need. He says, I feel like it's in, in vain, useless, empty, worthless, wasted. Lord, I feel like I've wasted my time. He goes on to say in verse 15, he says, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, I seemed to be, seemed to be a wearisome task. So he's got two issues going on here, right? He's got a heart issue, but then because of his position, he feels like I really can't share this with anybody because if I do, then I, I might draw a generation away from you, right? So there is a struggle here. But what does he talk about in that last verse, verse 16? He says, and when I consider everything, everything that seems to be happening wrong in my life and everything that seems to be happening great in the lives of those around me, and, try, and, and you just seem to be silent, it's a wearisome task. You see, up until this point, Asaph's focus, his perspective on life, what he focused on and saw was only what he could see, the horizontal plane of life. And he looks at the Lord, he examines all those things, God, I'm, I'm disappointed. I, I deserve more than what you have given to me. But by the grace of God, that's not where God left him. Verse 17, until, man, that's a great word, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. What happened? His circumstances didn't change. His perspective changed. What he focused on. When he began to focus again on the Lord, guess what? It put all those things in right perspective. Yes, they may have the things of this world, but guess what? They don't have you. And if they don't have you, they don't have life. They don't have true life. So think about your life for just a minute. Where, what are you focusing on? You see, what we focus on, what we choose to see, will dictate where our heart will go. And then, Solomon talks about that we should examine where we go, what we do. He says in verse 26 and 27, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And, and what's happening here uh, is uh, the, the Hebrew language, the original context would be uh, that you're really, you're, you're preparing uh, a straight path, if you will. And, and the purpose of that straight path in, this, in a, in a real-life context would be preparing the way to receive the king, right? So the king is coming. It, how is that path going to be for the king? Is the king going to be able to come with little obstacle? You see, when our hearts, uh, the deepest parts of our hearts say yes to Jesus, what we have to realize is that we're going to have to say no to other things. And the question is, are we willing to do the hard work of making the path straight for Christ to have full access to our life, Right? We try to have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world, right? And the scripture says, no, make sure that path, that access is straight. Make sure that God has full access to your heart, right? And the deeper issue isn't so much what you do, it's why you're doing it in the first place. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, so whether you eat 
or drink or whatever you do, do all for what? For the glory of God. So it's not just the what, it's the why. We're dealing with heart issues here. Now that leads us to our last question. How can I guard my heart? What's our aptitude? These are really the application points. As a follower of Christ, how do I guard my heart? Well, first, I think, be honest. Be honest. You know, we all, most of us know that Solomon, he had some issues, right? His great issue was an unguarded heart. How did it become unguarded? Well, one of the ways that we see this is in 1 Kings. Listen to what the scripture says. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, the Ammonite, the Edomite, the Sidian, and Hittite woman, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And what does it say? Solomon clung to these in love. Here's what I see. I mean, there's many sins that are in this passage. But that last phrase is huge. Solomon clung and these in love. In other words, you can communicate that you are honoring the Lord with your life, but your heart be so far from him, right? And so you have to call it what it is. And here's Solomon. Solomon is the wisest person in the world other than Jesus Christ. And yet, with all that wisdom, with all that knowledge, in other words, with all that Bible study, it meant absolutely nothing if it wasn't penetrating the heart. And so it begs the question for you and I today. What is our heart truly clinging on today? So you have to be honest. Now, this isn't a young person issue. This is an older person issue as well, right? Listen, our hearts are going to drift. And if we're not honest with that drift, it's going to take us far, far away from the Lord. So guard your heart. Another application point is desire repentance. Desire repentance. Uh, I think about David when it comes to uh, this idea of repentance. I mean, when God says that David is a man after my own heart, I mean, it asks the question, how is this true, right? He's a murderer, an adulterer, a liar, a manipulator. He's weak in many ways. How can this be true? One word, repentance. There are a lot of people who are way better than David, but they fail to live with the heart of repentance. Psalm 51 says this, and, and, and think about the power of repentance for just a moment. Psalm 51, this is where he's got that great confession of his sin. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You see, at the heart of repentance is you're turning away from your sin. You're turning back to the Lord. Why? Because God can only do what God can do, right? And so when he talks about this word create, it's a word that just talks about divine power. Lord, my heart is deceitful. It is dark. It is desperate. And what needs to happen in my heart only can come through you. So I'm turning for my sin. I'm turning to you. Will you create a clean heart in me? He talks about renewal. Talks about renovating something, right? And all of us need heart renovation, right? Lord, will you take the places of my heart and life that were once used for me and only caused harm and destruction to myself and to those around me? Will you renovate that? Will you, by your grace, pick up the pieces that have been shattered and start to put those back together again? God, do not take your spirit off my life. God, don't take your spirit off my family. I have turned away from you, and I'm sorry. You see, repentance is not just remorse. It's a choice to turn from what you're doing to the Lord. And by your grace and my faith in you, I turn from those things and turn back to you. So examine your life. Do you desire repentance? Third, seek restoration. Restoration. When you think about an unguarded heart, what's one of the first things that goes? Joy. 
joy. David speaks of this in verse 12, the very next verse. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold with me a willing spirit. It's important to realize that as a follower of Christ, a genuine follower of Christ, you're never going to lose your salvation, right? Praise God for that. However, when you're living outside of the fellowship of God, when you're calling the shots of your own life, when it's contrary to the word of God, even if it's the things that are not seen, we're talking about the, the, the inclinations of the heart, when you are drifting from the Lord, one of the first things to go in your life is the joy of your salvation. So David says, I want that passion back. I want that joy back. I truly want to delight in what I should be delighting most in. The psalmist says in Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that I just go to God and say, this is what I want, you know, give it to me. No. When we are having fellowship with the Lord, right, when our hearts are being guarded by the gospel, our desires are his desires, right? So that's how we receive the desires of our heart. When the presence of God is in my life, when the power of God is on my life, when the passion of God sustains my life, I will begin to live out God's purpose for my life. David talks about this in verse 13. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Man, listen to that. Your time in the wilderness, your time in wandering, it's not, it's not wasteful time in the Lord. The Lord will restore that. He will redeem that. And David says, take my waywardness and how you've restored me. Let me be a teacher to those who are around me. Guard your heart. Fourth, be dependent. Be dependent. Uh, much of the book of Proverbs is Solomon speaking to his son, right? And how important it is to live with wisdom in life. Proverbs 4, 20, verse 20, uh, 20 through 22, the scripture says, My son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within where? Your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. All throughout the book of Proverbs. Again, you have a father speaking to his son and he's reminding his son to be dependent on the Lord. We need to be dependent on the Lord through God's word. Psalm 119 says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to what? Your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Listen, God's word is powerful. It is absolute. It's what brings life. So be dependent on God's word. Also, be dependent on God's power. At the end of the day, our hearts are going to be tempted to go astray, right? Every single one of us, right? To some degree, constantly. So we have power. What is that power? Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is what? God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. So there's a power that doesn't come from me because when temptation comes my way, if I'm not relying on the Lord, guess what? That temptation is going to lead to sin. But the scripture teach us, teaches us that when we are dependent on the word of God and we're dependent on the power of God, guess what? We can endure the temptation that is in before us. What is the means of that endurance? It's grace, the power of God's grace. Where there is grace, there is power. And do you realize the power that we have as followers of Christ based on the grace of God in our lives and through our lives? Our only hope of putting to death all our sinful desires is the love that is found in the gospel. Again, cling to Jesus above all else. Guard your heart. Fifth and lastly, continue to grow. Continue to grow. So we're not finished yet, right? We're not finished yet. Uh, Peter is writing to the church uh, in his letters, and in one letter particularly, Second Peter, he talks about uh, how do we live 
life now in anticipation of the life to come, right? I mean, that's where we're at. How do we do it? He talks about it like this in 2 Peter 3, verse 17 and 18. So this is at the very end of this uh, second letter. He says, you therefore, beloved, and the you there is plural. So it's not just an individual. This is about the community of faith. So this is important. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. So in other words, in, in the midst of gospel community, the church, be careful with what's being taught. Right? That's important. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So grow in grace. Grow in knowledge. And then he says to him, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So when I think about this continual growth, we continually grow in the grace that God has for us. We continually grow in knowledge. That's not just intellectual knowledge. It includes that, but it's experiential knowledge of who Christ is and our fellowship with him. But then it also talks at the end there that we are to grow in our adoration towards him. Again, the heart is about worship. Worshiping the Lord. And so as we conclude our time in God's word this morning, are you guarding your heart? As a follower of Christ, are you guarding your heart? Do you understand the the depths of our heart for just a moment? That it can lead to great destruction or it can lead to great delight. Depends on what your focus is on right? Do you understand the importance of guarding your life, or guarding your heart? Because that's where life comes from. It's under attack, but it is a valued treasure. That's what God sees. He judges the heart. Are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, restore, restore? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. The joyless Christian That's a sad state. But we've been there and some of us are still there. Do you want the restoration of that joy? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Be dependent on him in every way, in all ways, both in power and his word. And then lastly, continue to grow. Continue to grow. So as we stand and sing in just a moment.